seriously popular. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Crown, fact or fiction. This is the podcast where we put royal experts on the sofa, turn on The Crown and tell you if what you're seeing is how things really happened. I'm joined on this and every episode of The Crown, fact or fiction by Robert Hardman, royal biographer and male columnist. Hello, Natasha. And this week is a special treat. We're very pleased to welcome author, journalist, writer Petronella Wyatt as our special guest on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. We'll talk about it in a bit more detail later, but you recently wrote a brilliant article about how you were at dinner with Diana in the summer of 1997. Looking forward to discussing that later, um, but for now, I think we should get the popcorn out and settle into episode three. And as usual, beware that spoilers lie ahead. So if you don't want to know what happens in The Crown, series six, episode three, come back when you've watched the episode. But for everyone else... It's time to sit back again and enjoy Series 6, Episode 3. Here comes The Crown. We've been working on weaning you from your addiction to drama. Hey, Bob. I know. Let's face it, this is just drama again. Drama is adrenaline, addictive. Are these really people you should be close to? The risk is... One normalises the abnormal and becomes accustomed to living in the madness. Well, I'll have my secretary book me on a flight back as soon as possible. Let's get you back home where you belong. Well, there it's all laid out. We have the opening sequence. We haven't had the credits yet, and yet we see Diana already starting to have a few doubts, talking to a therapist of some sort, and Mohammed Fayed really being set up as the absolute villain of the piece, uh, directing his puppet-like son 
telling him to close the deal. I mean, frankly, I don't know about you, Natasha, or you, Petronella. I mean, uh, Mohammed Fayed is already a sort of pantomime villain. I always expect him to sort of go, it's the crown. And I think as the therapist just said just there, it's only a drama. So off we go. What do you think, Natasha? Well, I think it's very strong foreshadowing this conversation Diana's having with the therapist, you know, is normalising living in the madness and that's when things really go wrong and Diana says yes. Um, But yeah, as you said, this is really Mohammed Al-Fayed in his most Bond villain-like form. Still with this beautiful backdrop and the paparazzi sort of lingering in the background. Um, I mean, do we think it's right at this stage that Diana was addicted to the drama? Is that fair? I don't know. What do you think, Petronella? Was she addicted to drama? I don't think she was particularly addicted to drama. I saw her quite a lot during that summer, and I think she'd entered a much calmer phase. I mean, she was divorced from Charles. They were getting on better, which is something that meant a lot to her. She was very much concentrating on her children. And it was interesting that the people she sought to see were all very serious, people like Lord Rothschild, Jacob Rothschild, Henry Kissinger. So I I think she was trying to sort of quieten things down as opposed to become addicted to drama. What is interesting, I think, the conversation she's having there with her therapist, I think that's, again, a sort of a conflation of the many people that we know she was talking to during these days. What we have not seen that happened prior to this final cruise with Dodie was she went on a five-day cruise with her friend Rosa Moncton. That didn't appear in the last episode. It's clearly not going to appear, but a lot was discussed on that, and Rosa spoke about it many years later when there was the inquest into the death. So it's quite clear that I think at this time Diana was talking about her future with her friends. I think, as you say, Petronella, I think she was perhaps more focused than she appears here. But anyway, let's see where things go. Come on, it's Monte Carlo. There'll be photographers in crowds. It'll be fine. Makes me want to just move away. Start afresh. Move to another country, somewhere like... California. Diana, please take a picture of you. Just one picture, please. Oh, God, he's there. Give us a kiss, Diana. Okay, step back, please. Everyone, step back. You open? We miss you. Go. Right, in here. We're safe in here. Hold Trevor. Is there anything here you like? Anything at all? Okay. No, there's nothing I need. There must be something you like. I mean, that's quite nice. <laughs> The scene we've just watched there is much more sombre, really, than scenes we've seen in previous episodes when you think about how it compares to, for example, Diana playfully talking to paparazzi on a boat in sunny Saint-Tropez. We've just seen her going to Monte Carlo with Dodie. They initially have ice cream and they have a conversation about potentially life in California. Then there's a sort of panicked scene where they're forced to rush into a jewellery shop to hide from crowds and Dodie asks Diana if she likes any of the jewellery while they're in the shop. She picks out a ring kind of haphazardly. It's a very sort of throwaway comment from a brand called Di Moi Oui. Then they're sort of rushed off back to the boat and there's a really sort of sombre, heavy mood. You get the sense that Diana is feeling quite claustrophobic and the mood is very heavy. But there's a lot of different storylines kind of nestled into that. What did you make of it, Robert? This happened. I mean, they... 
started the cruise, this particular cruise that began in Nice, and they did indeed drop in on Monaco, Monte Carlo. I think it was on the 23rd of August, and they did go ashore. So in that regard, yeah, as usual, they've sort of got the facts right. But yeah, I mean, this this scene of them being sort of chased, there's a sort of howling mob that's running through the streets of Monte Carlo. I mean, I've seen more sort of threat in a Santa's grotto, to be honest. I mean, what have we got? We've got a sort of dozen holidaymakers going, oh, look, there's Diana, at which point sort of heavy music comes in. Oh, my gosh. And they have to run panting, fleeing into a jewellery shop, which they didn't actually do. I think in the um, subsequent inquest, the bodyguards said they went to a flower shop. They may have looked in a jeweller's window. We don't know. The other thing is there were no paparazzi there. There were no photographs as far as I know of that visit. Photographers were elsewhere. It was a sort of a brief step ashore in Monaco. There was, as the inquest heard, you know, there were there were sort of crowds there. But um, you know, the idea that it, that they had to sort of flee like a sort of you know, it's, it's the sort of charging out of some disaster movie. What did you think? From a purely cinematic point of view, it was the laziest, most cliched filmmaking I've ever seen. It was as if they were trying to turn Diana into a character from Tennessee Williams suddenly last summer, being chased essentially by threatening schoolchildren, into some ridiculous trope sort of prefiguring future disaster, which is both you know, it's terribly cliched and it's really bad. And I thought that the whole coincidence of them having to flee to the jewellery shop that sells the Dimoiwi range was just cringe-making and horrendous. Okay, well, that's a, a resounding thumbs down from our <laughs> guest so far. Uh, although, as ever, the, the scenery looks nice, the yacht looks lush. They would go ashore to these places. There would be a bodyguard or two. Dodie actually was sort of obsessed with security. I, I think you probably find that the, the princess had more security uh, when she was on a fired walkabout than uh, when she was on a royal one. Um, but so in that regard, that would have happened. One other thing that struck me is all the way through, I mean, I think Elizabeth Debicki does a very good Diana, but she sometimes overdoes the Sloan Ranger drawl. And I think while she's trying to do it while eating ice cream, I don't know <laughs> about you, but I thought that was awful. Almost sort of over the top, but you know, I think it's time we see uh, where the action goes to next. Well, that was fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to go home tomorrow. Got work, things to prepare for, and plus the boys are coming back to London. So my secretary's getting me on a BA flight tomorrow morning. You can't go on a normal flight. You gotta fly back in our jet. I really don't mind flying on a normal plane. Come on, I just need to run it by my dad. تاخدها الاول على باريس وتجيب الخاتم وتلبسه لها يا ده اعظم يوم في حياتي is agreed we can use the jet but if you don't mind we'll stop in paris first what why there's something i have to do so there we have diana bringing this cruise to a very abrupt conclusion that is not uh, absolutely not what happened monaco was really just the start they were at sea on the Jonicle for the best part of another week, actually. She didn't suddenly call the whole thing off and start preparing a plane. And, yeah, I mean, what we're seeing there is obviously they need to speed up the action a bit. They did actually sail on uh, across to Corsica, I think, and then finally Sardinia. Um, 
but uh, but the timing clearly the, the the plot writers want to speed things up. I thought it was interesting where they're, they're talking about you know she couldn't possibly fly uh, on a, on a on a commercial flight. Diana was always taking commercial flights. I went on commercial flights with her. I remember going on one commercial flight, long haul one, where um, a lot of the uh, press had pre-booked seats in first class, confidently expecting her to be there, and she had rather <laughs> cunningly booked herself into economy, and they were all rushing around trying to get downgrades. So you know uh, again. And uh, these are details, details. It's only a drama. Did you feel that they're, they're over-laboring the point, Natasha? I didn't know if it was kind of a device to make Diana holier-than-thou, kind of shunning, you know, the private planes and expressing her passion for BA, which, you know, I love BA. <laughs> but that's interesting. I didn't know that, that clearly she, you know, she was happy flying commercially. So, you know, thumbs up to the crown there, I guess. After Diana kind of drops the bombshell that she's ready to leave, we see um, Mohammed Alfred having a phone conversation with Dodi, um, where Dodi is trying to sort of reassure his father that things are going well. Diana's picked out this ring. Uh, Mohammed makes some kind of crude celebrations referencing footballs you know oh he scored this is excellent news um, but ultimately it's clear that Diana cannot leave you know Dodi has to make this romance happen and make it work in yes a very sort of puppet master fashion. It is interesting that at one point uh, she says she wants to go home and Dodi's actual line is I'll have to run it past my dad you know here are two grown-up adults but they still need daddy's permission to leave the holiday. Mm, And again in both families hierarchy is key as in the royal family you know in this relationship between father and son there is a clear hierarchy and Dodie is desperate to you know become an equal this is a running sort of power that dynamics they're all involved with Petronella what did you think about that there's there's fired he did actually come out with a villain's laugh then we just saw didn't he as he's saying come on well it's, it's an extraordinary characterization I mean I I met Fyatt. Um, he wasn't quite as revolting as all that, nearly, but not quite. But uh, it's it's an interesting take on it because he really is the rather disgusting puppet master or, or almost brothel keeper. Um, and the, the Dodie characterization is interesting as well because at that time in London, there wasn't a single sane woman who would have wanted to be Dodie's girlfriend. Because I'm afraid he was, well, he was a bit of a waster. He was a drug taker, which I think we saw in the previous season of The Crown. And uh, yeah, he was this sort of poor Peter Pan type figure. So I, I was always interested in why Diana decided to have this fling with him. I think it was probably the flattery and the money, frankly. <laughs> Well, we know where it's heading, but now, quite a long way into this episode, uh, it's called The Crown. It's probably about time we saw some royal family, and I think we're about to. Do you think that one's all right? It looks a bit forlorn to me. Then again, so would I if my mother's private life had been splashed all over the place. We ought to get him outside of it now. What about, think about it, Charles was 13 when he got his first, I was 14. At 15, William is long overdue. We've just started our final descent to Paris. The team on the ground have radioed to say there are a number of photographers waiting, but they will do their best to whisk you through arrivals quickly. Diana! Diana! 
We're finally seeing Balmoral, which is looking pretty bucolic, but distinctly grey, always looking pretty cloudy there in comparison to the Mediterranean. Princess Anne and Philip are talking about Diana's private life being splashed across the papers. And there's a suggestion that William needs to do some sort of activity outside to cheer him up. And then we see Diana and Dodie on their private plane flying into Paris. And Elizabeth Dubicki here is wearing an outfit, which is pretty much an exact replica of what Diana was wearing at that time. Then they land in Paris, mobbed again by paparazzi, and we see Mohammed Alfred causing Dodi and Diana to change their plans and divert to Villa Windsor, setting up more of his role as a villain going forward. And again, it's sort of true. They did fly into Paris and the boys were Balmoral with their father. We know that. But again, the crown doesn't quite get it right. Uh, for example, Prince William had already shot his first stag. I think it was at least a year before that he'd been stalking. It's something that all the royals do. The late queen, at a similar age, uh, went stalking. So, you know, that didn't happen. Although, as we know, Peter Morgan, the writer of The Crown, he does love a stag, doesn't he? He's always getting stags in everywhere. So I suppose we, the one was overdue. They come into land and already we're being introduced to uh, Henri Paul, the fired driver who, of course, will be at the centre of the tragedy to come. Although I'm pretty sure, and we can go back and check through the uh, reports, I don't think Henri Paul did pick him up at the airport. I think it was another driver. Um, but but Petronella, what do you feel about this sort of uh, contrast between old-fashioned royal pursuits in a, in a gloomy castle and the, the unfolding chaos in Paris? Well, there's certainly a sense of not only tradition, but a sort of order at Balmoral and a quietness, which you certainly don't get in Paris because um, it's it's already, everything's already breaking down. Nobody quite seems to know what they're doing or, or why they're there. Uh, and the emergence, sudden emergence of Henri Paul as a sort of stark reminder of what's going to come. So I, I think that's, I agree with you about stags. I, I think for Peter Morgan, they have ridiculous symbolism, but <laughs> I do think, that the, the, actually the contrast is done quite well at this point. I'm sorry. My father insisted. I have a phone call in 45 minutes. We'll stop at the Ritz on the way to my place. You can make the call in private there. How do you like the villa? It's beautiful, Mimi. But... It was given to me by the city of Paris. It's a perfect little house waiting for the perfect couple. So Dana and Dodie have just had a whistle-stop visit to uh, Villa Windsor, which is the former home of the exiled Duke of Windsor after his abdication. Viewers saw uh, Mohammed Alfred restore it in Series 5 of The Crown in a sort of effort to impress the royal family. Diana then makes her excuses because she has a scheduled phone call with boys um, and we get a sense of the ridiculous and ostentatious decor of uh, Villa Windsor. We are even shown a flash of a ridiculous painting of Mohammed Alfie dressed as a pharaoh. What do we think of that? <laughs> well, I, I did think the the look on her face actually when Fahid suddenly says, "I want you to marry my son and live in this house." Yeah. <laughs> um, she does capture the sort of "Oh, good Holy. God!" Look, um, you know, it, it is. It's it, you know, we, we have no idea if this conversation happened. I suspect Fahid was savvy enough not to be pushing the, the 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 agenda quite like that. But we do know they went there. 
Petronella, does that art ring true? Describe to us what we just saw. I mean, I couldn't believe that. We just saw an astonishing life-size portrait of Mohammed Fahd portrayed as Ramses II, one of the great Egyptian pharaohs. Of course. <laughs> and it's incredibly vulgar. But I have to add, it rings true because... Mohammed Fayed once showed me around his flat in Park Lane and he showed me Dodi's flat. This was after Dodi had died. And there were busts of Mohammed Fayed as an Egyptian pharaoh. And the artwork on the walls was unbelievable. I mean, there were portraits of Dodi as a Greek god. There were even portraits of Dodi with Diana commissioned after the couple have died. And they were the worst art I have ever seen. The worst are an incredibly vulgar and ostentatious. So I do sort of buy that. I mean, it's ghastly, but it's typical. So that's interesting because the historian Hugo Vickers said that he had been to Villa Windsor and seen some pretty vulgar chandeliers, but not this specific photo. But clearly, the drawing from... Maybe Peter Morgan read your your piece from the time about this this visit. <laughs> I, I think we can forgive the Crown that I think it's yes. it's, it's making the point that the 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 the, the, the yes. personality cult of yeah. Mohammed Fayed even extends to the art on the walls, um, and that's an important point. More after the break. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Mummy, are you going to marry Dodie? No. All the newspapers are saying you are. Well, you know better than to believe the papers. You okay? I'm okay. Just a bit mad here. Don't really understand how I ended up here. Now say hi to everyone for me. I'll see you both tomorrow night. Just the three of us. Okay. Love you, Mummy. Oh, I love you, my darling. I love you. Well, we've just seen a, certainly the most affecting scene from this episode because we know that we've just seen Princess Wales have her last conversation with her boys. And, you know, I think however that's framed, that... You know, that's a powerful moment. <laughs> How do we possibly know what they discussed? Of course, we don't. I think the tone would have been very different because, of course, 
the scriptwriter of this knows full well what's going to happen next. But actually, at the time, the boys were going to see their mother the next day. We, we've had this rather sort of curious artificial tension. Earlier on, she was at the Villa Windsor, and because of all the chaos, she missed her call with the boys. And when she finally gets to ring Balmoral, they've gone out. Uh, you know, timing of the call, that would have been prearranged. Diana's on a mobile phone. It wouldn't have mattered where she was. She could have spoken to the boys at the allotted time. So um, she didn't miss the call um, earlier on. But we do know that she did have a call with them that evening and that they didn't have long on the phone because uh, there was a lot going on and they wanted to get back and play. And because they knew where they were going to see her the next day, I think tonally it would have been a very different call. But nonetheless, I think that's powerful stuff, don't you think, Natasha? Yeah, I think it's one of those moments where they have changed things, but... I think it's perhaps more respectful that they've done it this way because William and Harry have spoken about their regret really about that phone call, that final phone call being very blasé, much shorter than they would have wanted because they obviously had no idea that it was going to be the last call. And, you know, they've said that that's something that has weighed on them very heavily in their adult lives. And one other thing I think we must give the Crown credit for here um, because Petronella, finally, Diana is asked, are you going to marry Dodie? And what is the answer? Well, an emphatic no, which is absolutely the truth. I I was very worried that Peter Morgan would um, go with the fantasy spun by Mohammed Fayed afterwards of an engagement. But thank goodness he hasn't because she actually told a friend of mine who asked her that um, she'd rather have a hole in the head than marry Dodie. I mean, it was a summer fling and, and that's all it was. I would imagine we're going to come back to um, that question again. But at the moment, we've seen that very poignant last conversation. And now we're heading for nightfall. I have a question I want to ask you. Tell me yes. No, 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 no. I know you're upset now. I know you always want to make everyone happy. I can't make your father love you more by becoming your wife. Never confirm what he's always thought, that I'm hopeless. I worry you'll never be happy until you break free from him. I'm glad you called. I have good news. An agreement was indeed reached between two people tonight. Hello. But there will be no engagement nor wedding. So what we've just seen there is the build-up to an extraordinary moment, um, starting with Diana and Dodie embarking on this ghastly night. Uh, they leave Dodie's flat, they go to the Ritz for dinner, they go into the dining room. I think that's actually is what happened. And then they decide to go upstairs because people are giving them funny looks. In this scene, we see Diana bursting into tears. I don't think it happened. I think they just wanted some privacy. They went upstairs. We know that they both ordered fish, I think, from some memory. I, I, I think she ordered Dover's soul. And then who knows what happened? But um the Crown very much thinks they know what happened, don't they, Natasha? Yes. Uh, we then see Dodie do the very romantic proposal. Petronella, I saw you wincing um, <laughs> as that was um, uh, unfolding before our eyes. And then, very sadly for Dodie, Diana says, nope, she's not interested. And then they have this dinner. Dodie's phone rings and it's his father wanting to know what's happening. He begins the conversation by saying an agreement was made, giving the impression that, of course, the proposal was accepted, then turns around slyly turns off the phone and pretends to continue the conversation where he says what actually happened, that it was rejected and that he's going to in future separate himself from his father. But 
Mohammed obviously doesn't hear any of this because the phone call was ended. Um, Patronada, do you actually think Dodi did propose? No, I don't. I honestly don't think he would have had the guts to do it. And it was very early on in the relationship. I mean, there's a great mystery about whether a ring existed at all. Well, we know we know that there was a ring. We know Dodi went and bought a ring. Yeah, uh, but was uh, it an engagement ring? All the inquests, even the jewellers said it wasn't an engagement ring. It certainly um, doesn't look like one. If a man offered me that <laughs> ring as an engagement ring, I would never marry him. pretty it. blingy, That's isn't it? That's hideous. <laughs> and I don't think there's any um, veracity to the idea that Diana chose it. No, no, no. She didn't choose it at all. Because, because she hadn't been to a jewellery shop with Dodie, so that never happened. So I think we can take it as read that, that there was a ring, um, but that's probably as near to an engagement as things got to. One thing I think is interesting is I think this is actually the Crown being very sympathetic to Mohammed because he claimed that this engagement happened and by Dodi cutting off that phone call, they're making it seem like he wasn't necessarily lying about that. Always at the back of my mind in this is the fact that this is now the end of August, just two weeks earlier, there have been headlines all over the world uh, because Diana had told the spectator columnist, Tacky, who'd rung her up, uh, she said, I haven't spent all these years getting out of one marriage to just jump into another. Uh, she'd been very emphatic to him publicly because he'd then wrote it. So Dodie would have known that. Dodie would have known that where Diana's mind was on this. And obviously that fact has not been uh, included in the series. But I think if we're trying to think, would Dodie have done this? Would he have summoned up the guts? And you say not, Petronella. Would he have summoned up the courage to propose? I think two weeks after hearing, as everybody knew, that Diana had said she didn't want to get married again, I think it would have been a very odd thing to do, don't you? Yes, it would have been a very odd thing to do anyway because it was so early. People generally don't propose after two weeks, especially when, as you said, it's public knowledge that the person doesn't want to get married again. So it's very contrived. And now, after this excruciating non-engagement, well, it's just... Unbearable. I'm really not looking forward to this bit at all, but let's see them leave the Ritz. Trevor, we've decided to go back to my apartment. I'd advise against that, sir. It, Just do sir, as it's I say. Mad out Just there. do as I say, please. Back to London tomorrow? Yeah. You looking forward to seeing Mummy? Mm hmm. Good night. So we've just seen William and Harry up in Balmoral getting ready for bed, obviously blissfully unaware of the terrible disaster that's about to happen. I actually think this is a really powerful scene. It's that horrible sense of foreboding and it's one of those images you would imagine comes back to you when something like this happened. You know, what were you doing in those final moments, unaware of what was about to unfold? And then we go Back to Paris, don't we, Robert? Diana has decided she wants to go back to Dodie's flat and the bodyguard has said, you must be out of your minds. But that's what they've decided to do. Um, and so a deception plan seems to be hatched whereby uh, the cars they arrived in uh, will leave from out of the front, but the couple will slip out of a side door with the chauffeur Henri Paul, who we've seen sitting at the bar. So we know he's been having a drink or two. We know there's a deception plan. Dodie and Diana seem quite relaxed, as though they're about to go on stage. They're sort of waiting for this to unfold. And Dodie admits that the conversation, the showdown he just had with his father never happened. And now they're about to step out into the road. And we're reminded of where this is going because we are now seeing the man walking his dog who actually opened the entire series and he's just stepped out of his flat. 
And so we've just come to the end of episode three and slotted in right alongside the footage we saw at the start of the series of the Parisian dog walker, uh, those tragic final moments for Diana and Dodie. They are chased by paparazzi in a car. We see them gripping each other's hands. Um, there's quite sort of emotional music playing and we see the same scene that we saw at the start of the car speeding towards a tunnel. There's a very loud crash and we're left with the long sound of a car horn. And of course we haven't seen the crash, we've just heard the noise and then the screen cuts to black. I think that is the sensitive way to do it. I haven't seen the next episode so we'll have to wait and see but at the moment we now know what has happened. This is the darkest moment, I would say, of the entire crown, not just this series, but all of them. And it's built up to this moment. Obviously, there's a sort of sense of foreboding hanging over the whole episode. Obviously, in real life, the princess was on her way home the following morning. She was going to see her boys. I suspect she was probably quite excited. But um, who knows? Petronella, what do you think of the way they've handled that final journey? I'm very glad we didn't see the crash. I would have rather we hadn't heard the crash either, actually, because I I think that's Mm. going to be very distressing for her sons and her relatives. They didn't didn't have to do that. We could have just seen the car speeding away. So I I found that a bit sort of raw and, and upsetting, actually. But yes, otherwise it was, well, it could have been a lot worse. Those closing scenes, it was almost as though the Crown directors were replicating the famous CCTV footage, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, researching for this episode, it's the first time I'd seen any of these photos. But yes, obviously, because of the many articles and and crucially the inquests that were held, there's CCTV footage of these moments which the Crown in true crown form have meticulously replicated so they look just like those images Diana is in the same outfit with the white trousers and the black blazer there's a picture I'm looking at right now where they're just about to leave Dodie kind of has his arm around Diana and I think they've replicated that clear physical affection that they did have in those final moments. Obviously, we'll get on to the aftermath of the tragedy in another episode. I mean, what this episode really has been all about is Dodie being cajoled, really, into proposing to Diana, and it addresses the whole uh, possibility of uh, whether they were going to live happily ever after or whether this was a summer fling. I think it's made it abundantly clear, uh, certainly from Diana's perspective and Dodie's as well, frankly, that this was not uh, going uh, beyond the end of August. Petronella, with that in mind, do you think overall this episode has actually got it right? It's a lot better than I expected it would be. So, yes, it has. I mean, it's been fair to Diana's point of view. You know, she wanted to get away, have a nice holiday initially with her sons. And it was that lovely world of the international rich, which is very seductive. And I think another thing to to bear in mind is that there's a misconception that members of the royal family are fabulously rich and have these amazing holidays. Where in fact, they quite often depend on the generosity of, of people like Mohammed Fayed. That's true. If Diana wanted a jet, she couldn't just summon up an yeah. RAF jet. She or had to yacht. ask. No, she had yeah. to ask the Queen. Yeah. So 
it was the lure of that and the endless flattery from Muhammad Fayed and the endless flattery and the credit card that Dodi had. So what's not to like to, to that extent? But it means nothing beyond that. They obviously had fun together, but uh, as she told friends, it, it wasn't serious. Well, we also have to remember here is a recently divorced woman facing that very grim prospect of the summer holidays without her boys because, as we know, the terms of the divorce settlement were that she had them when they came out of school in July and she had them again in September before they went back to school. But August, they were with their father. And for a young mother who's dotty about her boys, love them. I mean, they're incredibly close. We know that's why she was keen to, for example, go off and promote her landmine campaign in Bosnia. She needed things to do. As we draw to the end of this episode, I just can't, I keep thinking, actually, here's a woman who knows she's going to be reunited with her boys tomorrow. This is probably a pretty happy evening. I think one of the truest bits in that episode was when she said her most important role was as a mother. I I think it was very much at that point. Natasha, could Diana have got, as it were, this far into a relationship with Dodie in such a short space of time? Because, frankly, I think the total span of their friendship was something like 40 days. I think, to be honest, Dodie has been quite lost generally in the memory of Diana's death. I think people know that Diana died in this terrible accident, but Dodie's role, I think, is generally quite small in what people, or at least my generation, I wasn't hugely aware of the detail around their relationship. My feeling is it's, it's I, obviously, it's just excruciating to watch. Should this episode even have happened? Should this series even uh, have taken place? That's another debate. But I do think Diana emerges sympathetically but Petronella, I, I think Dodie, do you think Dodie is dealt with fairly here? I mean, he really does look very unappealing. Um, it's a difficult question, isn't it? Because as we know, he, he's going to die. I don't think he was the most appealing person on this earth, frankly. I don't know how you could have made him more appealing. Funny enough, I think the actor did quite a good job. There are a lot of unresolved issues, though, because he's resolved at the end to sort of break with his father and even be cut off financially. And that's sort of left dangling, which is always unsatisfactory from a dramatic point of view. Did you meet Daddy? I did once, yes. It was in a restaurant, it was an Italian restaurant in, in Knightsbridge. And he was very quiet. I mean, he didn't seem to have... I was surprised how quiet he was, but he didn't seem to have much purpose to him. He sort of got his father to invest in films like Chariots of Fire, but that was a long time ago. I mean, he was pretty rudderless. And in a way, it was typical of an Egyptian Middle Eastern family. It was very hierarchical. There was that enormous respect you had to pay to the patriarch, to the head of the family. So it was a very, very difficult sort of thing for him to escape from. I mean, his father cast such a, a long shadow over his life. I mean, I, I, I was never a, a fan of Mohammed Fayyad. Oh, no, but, but, no. but, but, but on the other hand, I mean, he's so vilified. Well, he wasn't as bad as that. I find it very hard to believe that he would have rung up his son in Paris and ordered him to propose. I know he was unsubtle, but he wasn't as unsubtle as that. Going back to our, our original point, as we do from time to time, just debate overall. I mean, should we be in Paris? Should we be in the Ritz? Should we be looking at this? Should this should this series have ended 
I don't know, back in the 60s. I think it should because these are events within living memory. There are a lot of people still alive who are affected by this. I feel like a voyeur. It feels voyeuristic. Diana's death is still very raw to some people. And the business of a relationship and speculation about a proposal, that's so intimate. And I do feel very sorry for the family, for the royal family having to deal with this, and for William and Harry. And also for the Spencer family, and let's face it, the wider fired family as well. The Crown has just shown us Diana's final moments, but we know that she was a wonderful, hugely vibrant woman. And Petronella, you were one of the lucky few who really knew her. Are are you happy to talk about some of the experiences you had with her? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I first met her when I was a teenager at a wedding in the country, and then I didn't see her socially for a long time. But in the year after her divorce, she sort of exploded onto the London social scene. And of course, every hostess wanted her for their parties. And there are a lot of parties. There were two at the Ritz, which were enormous fun, because we were both teasing a rather boring tycoon. I think at one point she sat on his lap. Uh, she was she, she was enormously charming, very flirtatious, very ordinary in the sense that she didn't uh, want to remind you how sort of royal she was, unlike people like Princess Margaret, who were always telling you how royal she was. She was very, very easy to be around. She was extraordinarily polite. She, she always wrote beautiful sort of thank you letters. And she was very authentic. I, I think that doesn't really come across in The Crown, how authentic and, and real she was. I mean, she's a bit mannered, I think, in Elizabeth Debicki's performance. But she was much more down to earth and she would talk about everything. I mean, she asked me if I had a boyfriend. She said, uh, didn't I think that single men were hard to find in London? I said, yes, absolutely. She was just remarkably... Um, sort of nice uh, and she could very much be one of the girls. I think Elizabeth Debicki gets, you tell me, but I I always felt that there was, I mean, she was a great character and there was, there was a sort of impishness there. There was a, a great yeah. capacity for mischief, even in the sort of the grandest occasion. Oh, no, absolutely. She had a, a wonderful sense of humour. She was extremely impish. She loved practical jokes. She used to hide people's car keys. I mean, I think Elizabeth. Debbie Key, she plays her a little bit too tragically, perhaps, doesn't bring out her sort of pranks, her sense of humour, because she was she could be hysterically funny. Did she give the car keys back, by the way? Um, eventually, <laughs> yes. Imagine you're in the middle of the country and you're marooned with no car keys. Eventually, but it was very much that sort of English upper-class boarding school practical joke. <laughs> and do you think had life carried on as we all wish it had and the terrible events of this episode not occurred, do you think she'd have found a post-royal happiness? I think she would have done eventually. It would have been hard for her. I mean, finding a man, because I think she probably would have wanted to remarry, would have been difficult because it'd have to have been someone of comparable stature. I always thought that she might have sort of fallen in love with a, a very serious businessman or you know or somebody with substantial interests who wouldn't be eclipsed by her but not at this stage because she wanted to be near her boys overall she 
she was an upbeat person, wasn't she? Yes, definitely. Though she was never a person who was sort of hopeless or despairing. I mean, every time I, I met her, she sort of glowed with optimism and joie de vivre. And she she never came across as somebody who was down in any way. So I think she, poor, poor God, she had everything to look forward to. Well, Petronella, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Well, a big thank you to our guest, Petronella Wyatt, and thank you, everybody out there, for joining us too. We actually wanted to take a few moments to say thank you for listening to the show. We've been overwhelmed by the response, both in terms of seeing the podcast feature in charts all around the world with five-star reviews, and also we've been very grateful for the nice things that people have said. We really do appreciate your comments. We'd like to say thank you to all of you who've taken the trouble to write in. Um, Just uh, among others, thank you to Julianne Bailey-Myers, who's written... As I was watching this episode, I kept thinking that never could have happened or did that really happen like that? I really appreciate this podcast and look forward to more episodes. Take it from me, Julianne. There are more episodes. <laughs> Let's also give a shout out to Karen Ferguson Garrison, who said, I enjoyed hearing what truly happened, what might have happened and what we couldn't possibly have any idea whether or not it happened. And unfortunately, I don't actually know who wrote this one, but uh, someone else wrote, just learned about the podcast from Palace Confidential. So excited to listen to this. And on that note, if you haven't been watching Palace Confidential, our own Natasha Livingston made an appearance on that recently. So now would be a good time to tune in on YouTube. If you've enjoyed listening and you haven't already, please do give us a five-star rating and a follow. Even leave a friendly comment if you get a chance. It really makes a huge difference. And if you'd like to send us a WhatsApp message, take a look in the show notes for our number. But for now, thank you for listening to The Crown, Fact or Fiction. And our next episode will be available on Thursday. Goodbye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.